Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope. So you have a GPS in your car, huh? Yeah. Well, we have a little role reversal in our house. <clears throat> I'm usually the one that wants the GPS or uh, I pull over and ask for directions. My wife, uh, she's the problem. Uh, she, she doesn't want to ask for instructions. She doesn't want to pull over. She just says, we'll find it. And uh, we have tales where I've been wandering in the countryside for literally three, four hours at a time looking for something. And I said, you know, we have to pull over. No, we will find it. Now, I don't know how many of you know that she's Native American. And so uh, she was up in uh, she was up in Spokane. She just she's she's on her way here. She wanted to be here tonight, Um, but she got lost. And uh, so when I called her, I said, where are you? She said, well, I missed the exit. Uh, off Ritzville to come down. And I said, so where are you? She said, I'm in Ellensburg. I said, you really missed the exit. You're in Ellensburg. So right before the church service, she calls again. Folks, she's in Issaquah right now. And uh, so she's she's making her way down this way. She wanted to be here tonight. Her plan really was to be here in the service because she missed last week, was to be here. But it it isn't going to happen. It's just not going to happen. I just told her, I, I said this. I said, honey... On your way down I-5, please do me a favor. Stop in Canby before you get to Mexico. That would really be a... I'd really, really appreciate that. So uh, so she, she, she won't pull over. She just doesn't want to do that. So she's kind of... She's out there wandering right now somewhere. So I hope she... Well, she's a survivalist. She'll make it. She's fine. So if it was me, I'd be crying right now. So she's, she's good. Uh, but it's it's good to see you. It's good to see you. We we uh, uh, Sam just reminded us of our meeting that we're going to have a family meeting on Wednesday night, and uh, those 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 are the times that I enjoy. We'll, we're just going to talk together. We're going to spend some time together, and uh, <clears throat> I just want to share with everybody some things that are on my heart that have to do with the discipleship and development of our children and our young adults, where I think. I think the Lord's probably leading us in the next three to five years. And uh, it really has a lot to do with what we're doing, where we're going right now. It involves CVC, Canby Bible College, our ID program, all of those kind of things working together, really, to disciple a younger generation. We need that today. There, there is just, there's just an incredible need uh, for our kids to understand the Word. And so we're going to we're going to talk about that, and uh, and I hope you can be there. It'll be great. We're going to just spend some time. There'll be time for a question and answer as well. Uh, you did a wonderful job, and I want to thank you ahead of time for your offering to Haiti. Uh, there was over seventeen thousand dollars given last weekend, and that uh, that continues to move a little bit because people are continuing to give. So we want to thank you for your generosity. Really, thank you for your. Uh, your good work. That's a, that's a that's a that's a very kind gift, very generous gift. 
so I want you to know we really appreciate that. Again, that offering is being divided between uh, two organizations. One is Samaritan's Purse, uh, run by Franklin Graham, and the other is our Foursquare International Church, our missions outreach in Haiti. Um, we're going to keep you up next week. We're going to show you another video clip just so you can kind of get an idea where we're at, where we're going, what's, what's happening. And we want to keep you up on everything. Uh, tonight, what I want you to do, I want to continue our series, Touchable Jesus, Touchable Church. And we're going to do that by opening our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bible tonight, would you do that? Would you open to Mark chapter 2? And we're going to look at verses 13 through 17 together. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 uh, through 17 together. And you can find the same story if you'd like. You can find the same story in Matthew chapter 9 and in Luke chapter 5. And the reason I tell you this is so that you can cross-examine what's being said. That you can look at all the accounts of the stories that we're talking about. And I think it's just a good thing to do. I think it's a good thing to read uh, the different accounts because you get different perspective. And it does help you in, uh, in developing a, a greater understanding of what Jesus is up to and what the Bible and the author, the Holy Spirit, is telling us. Uh, the story today has to do with the company that Jesus kept. Uh, the, the kind of people that he spent his time with and really the extent that Jesus would go to see people's lives change. And I guess whenever I read stories like this, the one we're about to read, I always want to ask myself the question, how far do I go to influence others for Jesus? Maybe you can ask yourself the same question. How far do you go to influence others for Jesus Christ? Um, I have a good friend who pastors a church or used to pastor a church. He's now the district supervisor over in Hawaii. Tough gig, by the way. It's a really tough gig. I've been over there. And, uh, but he works hard for the Lord. And uh, before he was saved, his wife started attending a four-square church in Hilo, Hilo Hawaii. And, uh, and he, he went a few weeks later. And the reason he went wasn't, wasn't anything spiritual. Uh, he just didn't want guys hitting on his wife. And so he decided he'd never been to church before. He had never had any background in religion, nothing. And so he goes to this church and he goes and he stays right by her, sits by her the whole service. I mean, walks her out to the car. This guy's not going to let anybody get close to his wife. And he tells this story. It's an amazing story. Well, the pastor finds out who he is and the pastor wants to spend time with him. And so what the pastor does on his day off, which is Monday, he invites himself kind of to go out fishing because this is what this guy does. He's a fisherman. And so the pastor says, I want to go fishing with you. The pastor at this time was Wayne Cordero, if you've ever heard of him. And he said, I want to go fishing. So they went out on the boat. They'd go out every Monday. Every Monday they'd go out. And Alex, my friend, would say, I don't know why, why he was doing that. He'd come out every Monday. We'd get out in the water and we'd be out there no more than 10 minutes. And the guy just be letting his lunch go out over the side of the boat the whole time. I mean, he'd go out every Monday. They kept doing this every Monday. And after a while, Alex is wondering, why is he coming out here? I mean, every time we come out here, the guy gets sick. I mean, what, 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 what good is this for him? So he asks. Alex says to Wayne, why do you come out? You just get sick every time we come out. What, what, what in the world do you come out here for? He said, to be with you. I just want to be with you. And what he does is he leads him to faith in Jesus. And, and Alex, uh, Alex responds and receives Christ. And he and his wife start attending the church together. Uh, they leave that church and they plant a church a few years later. And then they come back to be the pastors of the church that they attended when they were saved. 
just recently in this last year have retired and they've handed over to another young pastor, by the way, who will be here in about four or five months and he'll be preaching in this church. And so there's a great heritage. There's a legacy. And what is it all about? It's about who you spend time with. It's, it's who, who do you want to be with and why do you want to be? And what, what's the extent you're going to go to to spend time with people so that you can share Jesus Christ with them? How far will we go? This is what it says in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. It says this. It says, Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And, and he said to him, Follow me. So he rose and he followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and the sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and he drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, the great extent that Jesus would go to spend time with people was amazing. And it's interesting here when you read this story, there's no question that Jesus loved people, even people who were sinners. And because he loved the sinners, the story tells us that the Pharisees said that he preferred their company to the company of the righteous. Do you see where this is going? In fact, they assumed that Jesus approved of their sinful ways. That's what was going on in the minds of the Pharisees and the scribes. It never crosses the Pharisees' mind that Jesus might have kept bad company for a good reason. What kind of company do we keep? What kind of company do you keep? One of the problems that we face in church today is it's wonderful to receive Jesus Christ and we all want to and, and we need to and we... We, we, we embrace that, but the, the, the statistics tell us that it's not really that good after about 18 months because we've broken all ties with those that need to be found, those that need to know Jesus Christ. This well-known story of Levi Matthew is usually looked at as a model for conversion. And I remember growing up in the church and this was taught. And it's a good model for conversion. When you read about it, it's a good model on how Jesus would come and seek and save the lost because Jesus calls him. And what does Matthew do? The Bible says that he follows him. But if we go a little further, and I want us to do that tonight in the story, if we go a little further in this story, I, I think a, a better model for this is a model for mission and what our lives are really all about. That this would be our mission, this would be our goal. This is a better model, I think, for mission than it really is for conversion. What seems to be the focus, not only in Mark's story, but if you read it in Matthew's story and in Luke's story as well, it's what follows. It's the dinner party. It's what takes place after Matthew follows Jesus Christ. In, in, in this little story, there are three actors, sort of speak, if you read through the story. And the actor's attitude towards sinners or to outsiders are contrasted with one another. And who are they? Well, the first is, there's Matthew. Matthew Levi, 
the other stories, you can see Levi, Matthew, son of Alphaeus. It's the same person. Levi would be more of his Jewish name. Or if you're going to say it in, in, in Hebrew, it would be Matthias, Matthew. He writes about himself in the Gospel of Matthew, but in Mark we get a different look here. But, but it's about the dinner story. It's about the party. First we have Matthew who, who responds to the call of Jesus and then he throws a party so he could introduce Jesus to his friends. And then the second actor here is, and they're the, they're the Pharisees, those who criticize Jesus for accepting the invitation to the party. And then thirdly, there's Jesus himself, who defended his actions by saying that he was like a doctor. He was like a doctor who came for the sick. And whenever you read a story like this, you need to think about where you fit in the story. That's why stories are told. That's why the Gospels are written. And especially when it's laid out like this, where do I fit in this story? Am I kind of like a Pharisee? Or am I like Matthew? Or am I like Jesus? Or all the above? You see, well, where am I right now? Well, what's going on in my life? And here's the first thing to look at. And you can write this down if you want to in your bulletin. The first thing to look at is this. It's, it's Matthew's invitation to meet Jesus. And in verse 27 of Luke chapter 5, it says this, that Jesus saw Matthew sitting at the tax collector's office. And here's the problem with tax collectors. And people wonder when they read these stories and they say, well, what, is it? Well, what was the big deal? with tax collectors, and another word for them is publicans. They were seen as unclean by the Jewish leaders. That's the problem. And this is all, in religious circles, this is all reasonable because they were unclean. That's, what, that, that, that's the problem that these Pharisees are having. And there were a few reasons why they were unclean. And I want to tell you what they are so you have a deeper understanding of what's going through the mind of the Pharisees and the scribes and the disciples and Matthew and everyone else involved. There were three things that were happening here. Number one, there was a political reason, and that's that the tax collectors were employed by the Romans. And the Jews hated the oppressors. Those were the Romans. They hated to associate with people like this. So you got a political problem there. And then you have a, a, a ceremonial reason. Because their job brought them in contact, constant contact with Gentiles. That's a problem for a Pharisee. And then you have a, a third problem. It's the last reason. It, it is a moral reason. The general population of the Jewish community saw tax collectors as dishonest and they had reason to think that because tax collectors, for the most part, extorted their own people. They, they went above what they were being asked to do to get more money for themselves and that's why they were pretty wealthy people. So the, the scribes hate these tax collectors. They hate the publicans. It's for all these reasons that tax collectors were grouped with sinners. That, that's why it's put this way. But Jesus did not see them beyond his reach. And that's what I love about the story. Jesus doesn't see them as someone that's untouchable. Jesus called Matthew. And do you know who he called Matthew to? He didn't call Matthew to a religion. He didn't call Matthew to a cult. He didn't call Matthew to anything but himself. What he was saying to Matthew was, follow me. It's the same thing that he says to us today. He doesn't call you to a religion. He calls you to a relationship. He says, follow me. He says to Matthew, follow me. And Jesus 
has room in his heart for that. Jesus has room in his mind. He has room in service for him. He has room for sinners. People like the tax collector. People like me. People like you. Matthew responded with all of his heart. It's Luke, and if you read this, and I really want you to, I encourage you to read the other accounts, but it's Luke who says that he left everything. That when Jesus called Matthew, it says he left everything. One thing about Luke, it's interesting to note that Luke mentions money matters more than any other gospel writers. He uses words like poor and rich. Luke does that. And so he says about Matthew, he says, hey, he, he left everything. He, he became literally poor. And the first thing that Matthew does after following Jesus was to arrange a party at his home. He wanted his friends to meet Jesus. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that wonderful? And that's what he's doing. He's saying, I want you to meet this person that has just called me to himself and has absolutely changed my life. And I have a feeling, he's probably thinking, I have a feeling this is forever. That the call of Jesus has the ability to do that. And when you look at this story closely, there are two lessons that Matthew teaches us about inviting. They're simple lessons, but they're lessons that I need to be reminded of because I am in an enclave as well. I'm in a church community, which I deeply love, but I wonder sometimes how many people do I have influence over that don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I don't know if you make effort to do that, but if you don't, let me encourage you to do so. And so, I mean friends. I mean people you want to get connected to and have a relationship with. I'm not, I'm not talking about casual acquaintances that you run into at work, because sometimes you can say, well, I, I, I know. I, I have a lot of unsafe friends. Are they really friends? So the, the, the word here says that that Jesus calls Matthew and something happens and there's some basic principles you see here in inviting. See, Matthew couldn't invite his friends to meet Jesus unless he himself had an encounter with him. It's a simple lesson. Here's the first lesson that I think of. Know Jesus before we make him known. That I want an ongoing relationship with him that I want to draw close to Him and that I get to know Him and I'm knowing Him more and more every day so that when opportunity comes for me to invite, I already know. I already know the joy. I already know the hardships. I already know different things that are going to happen in this relationship because there are a lot of different things that happen in this relationship, if we're going to be honest. So that I know Him and what I can do is I can invite others. I mean, the pattern set in Scripture, uh, Andrew finds Jesus, or Jesus finds Andrew. And what does he do? He goes and he finds Peter. Andrew says to Peter, come, I want someone, you need to meet someone, I want you to meet somebody. And then Philip, he's called, and what does he do? The first thing he does is he runs to Nathaniel, and he says, Nathaniel, you've got to meet this guy. This guy's incredible. He's going to blow your mind. You've got to meet him. How exciting is that? Here's something I love. It's a, it's a quote from William Temple. He's the Archbishop of Canterbury. He says this, and I want you to take this to heart. He says, we've got to be able to say, come to the cross. There are only two voices that can issue that invitation. One is the voice of the sinless Redeemer. And the other 
is the voice of the forgiven sinner who knows himself forgiven. And that's our part. You know, here's another lesson I think about inviting in this story. Once Matthew meets Jesus, the most natural thing to do was wanting to introduce his friends to him. And the first thing that Jesus says to Matthew is this. He says, go home to your friends and tell them what great things that the Lord has done for you. There's an indication here. There, there, there's something being implied here that I don't want to miss. And I miss it sometimes and you may miss it as well because it's so simple. But I think what it's saying here is to tell the people in your own neighborhood about Jesus before you ship off and go somewhere else. And I think it's good to ship off and go somewhere else. We do that. We want to see that happen. But certainly there's a, there's a place that you have in your own life. It's your own field. It's your own ground. It's something that God has put you somewhere so that you can till and that you can, you can sow seed and that you can live out your life. There's a good friend of mine who attends church here and he grew up in Canby, spent most of his life before he found Jesus living like the devil. He got saved a little later in life and, and when he was saved, the first thing he wanted to do was leave this town and Jesus wouldn't let him. And he argued with the Lord and he said, let me leave. And he says, I'm not letting you leave. You'll live like the devil. Now live for me here. And that's exactly what he's done. He's led some of you to the Lord. What did he do? This man took seriously his own neighborhood. He took seriously his own community. He didn't just want to go somewhere, at least not after God got a hold of him, really got a hold of him. I remember Bible college, we would run into different people who had different things that they wanted to do in life, different calls, you know. There were a lot of young people that I went to school with that wanted to be missionaries. Well, one of the assignments we had in our evangelism class was to go stand out on Hollywood and Vine and tell people about Jesus. That was an assignment, Hollywood and Vine. And I remember some of the missionary or future missionaries didn't want to do that. And I asked them, why don't you want to do that? And they said, well, that's not Africa or that's not India or that's not. And I said, hey, if you can't do it there, you're not going to do it in Africa or India or anywhere else. We have a neighborhood. We have people that we need to tell right here at home about Jesus Christ. While people may be reluctant to come to church, they're not going to be reluctant to do something with you if you have a friendship with them. They'll come into your house. You just, you just offer them a little food. Works. Plan something. Go somewhere. Do something. I have a friend now who, who we call each other and find out when we can go play golf with each other. He doesn't, he doesn't know the Lord. And I'm so excited about that. Because I know the Lord loves him and I know, and I know I love him. But it comes through relationship. People would never dart in the doors of a church, never even come into a church. They'll, they'll go into your front door. They'll go into your living room. They'll go to some place. They'll go with you. Be intentional about that. And then the light of Jesus shines through. And so, what was the problem here? When you read the story, it kind of unfolds because there is a problem. It was the Pharisees. They 
were the problem. Their mistake was separating themselves from the sinners. Did, did you know the word Pharisee means more or less separatist? Maybe you've heard them talk and you've heard others talk and you've read it in the Bible about Sadducees and, and Pharisees and what are these people all about. Well, let me just give you just a brief synopsis. Sadducees were at the opposite end of Pharisees. The Pharisees wanted to isolate. The Sadducees got so ingrained in Roman culture, you couldn't tell the difference from a, a, a Jew or a Roman if they were a Sadducee. They were from different cultures. They compromised with Roman culture, the Sadducees did, while the Pharisees held themselves apart altogether. Now, the motive for the Pharisees was a good motive. I'm going to tell you what it was. It's to live a holy life. That's a good motive. There's nothing wrong with that. Their mistake was that they interpreted holiness by being isolated. They, they thought the best way to be righteous was to avoid contact with the unrighteous. So when they saw Jesus spending time with the tax collector, they were shocked. It rocked their world. They thought that Jesus was contaminated by the company that He kept. But here it is. True holiness is different than what the Pharisees believed. True holiness is not defined by our external contacts. True holiness is a matter of the heart. Jesus preached about it when He said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for who will they see? They will see God. That's good company. And I want to say this. I'm going to just finish with with this, so that we have something to hang our hat on before we go on the story is great because Jesus came to save the sinners and that's really for me the bottom line. You remember in verse 16, the Pharisees complained to the disciples, why does your master eat with the tax collectors and sinners? <laughs> this is what I love about the story. Jesus wasn't letting anyone else defend him. Jesus didn't need anyone else to defend him. Jesus was so jealous over these relationships that he jumps right in the middle and he says, talk to me about this. That's how much he loves you. That's how jealous he is for relationship with you. I can just picture Jesus thinking, oh my goodness, these guys, these Pharisees are going to spoil my relationship with these tax collectors and sinners. And I don't want that to happen. And so he steps up and he, he, he says something. He says, I, I want you to know something. He starts to talk to him. Jesus overheard the complaint. He didn't apparently give the disciples an opportunity to reply. He replied to the Pharisees' question himself and he said, his, his actual phrase, you'll see it in verse 17. Those who are well do not need a doctor, but those who are ill need a doctor. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, as a doctor spends his time with the sick, not because he likes sickness, nor because he approves of being sick, but because he is dedicated to healing, just so the same way Jesus mixed with tax collectors and sinners. And he still does. Not because he likes their ways or approves of the way they live. Mm -mm. Or because he wants to encourage or promote sin in the world. But because he came into the world to save them. He is the great physician of our soul. That's why he came. And I know there are people that get conflicted about this sometimes. 
All of us have some conflict. You're going to face something in life where you're thinking, my goodness, I'm going to, uh, there's a conflict here. I had someone ask me, why, why would I go spend so much time with a relative who's gay? Doesn't that just promote their lifestyle? I laughed. I said, are you kidding me? I may be the only touch of Jesus they ever get. You may be the only healthy embrace that they will ever have in life. Listen, it's the other way around. It's the other way around. The devil needs to be afraid of us and we not afraid of him. Does that all make sense? Because what we're doing when we do that is you're going through the doors that you've been invited to go through and you're going through those doors with the power of the Holy Spirit loving people. That's amazing. Opportunities don't come along like that in life. And so if someone ever asks you to do something like that, just jump in and say, yes, right now I'll do it. Don't say, i got to go home and pray about it because you just got an opportunity. That's how lives are changed. That's really how lives are changed because of the great physician. Christianity, Jesus taught us here, is a rescue religion. The doctor has no relevance for those who are well. You, you don't go to the doctor if you're well. You only go to the doctor if you're sick. So Jesus Christ has no relevance to the righteous, but only to those who are sinners. Now, I want you to please carefully hear me say this. Don't misunderstand this point. Not that there are any righteous people who don't need Jesus, but rather there are self-righteous people who think they don't need Jesus. That's who Jesus is talking to here. Remember his audience. He didn't come for them. He didn't come for the self-righteous. The people Jesus came for are those who humble themselves, acknowledge the fact of their sin and guilt and their need of His forgiveness. But for those who are self-righteous, He has no message to them except that it's time that they humble themselves. Now, this reaching out to people in need, this outreach to sinners that we call mission is of the very essence of who God is. He came to us. We didn't come to Him. We didn't find Him. He found us. It tells us what kind of God He really is. And He wants to use you to do the same thing. He wants to send you. He probably already has you. You're probably in a world you may not even realize you're in a world where your influence really does make a difference. Look around. What kind of company do you keep? Because it really does make a difference. You know, Jesus was miles apart from the questioning Pharisees. The Pharisees withdrew. Jesus got involved. The Pharisees insulated themselves from the world, but Jesus identified with the people that he spent time with. And that's why I said a little earlier during worship that we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and that's why Acts chapter 1 and 2 are written. The primary reason for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is so that you and me will be witnesses in the world that we live in. And if ever there is a time needed for a witness, it's now. 
Ask God to empower you with His Spirit. And I know He will. Would you bow your head with me? Would you do that? After our time together here in just a moment, I'm going to uh, invite our worship team to come back up on the platform. We're going to finish with a song. And uh, when we're done, we're going to have our care teams come up front here. And the reason we do that is so that we can we can receive prayer. If we have anything that we're dealing with, anything that we're struggling with, anything that we need just prayer with, prayer for, you can come down front and receive that. But it also is a time that if you have never received Jesus Christ in your life, He's inviting you to have a relationship with Him. You can come forward and just say, I just need to know the Lord. And someone will pray with you. They'll pray for you. It's very simple. The Word says, all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's it. All those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you need that salvation... If you're calling on the name of the Lord, you're humbling yourself. This is the kind of company Jesus wants to keep. He wants to keep company with you. Don't ever think that we have it all together because if we do, we really don't need a doctor. Jesus came as the great physician. And when you tell him you're sick, that's when he'll come. And if you are sick, Let him know. He'll heal you. Father, we want to thank you tonight for your saving grace. And thank you for the stories that you place in our way, in our pathway to learn from. Stories like Matthew's conversion and even more, we find out later, a mission a mission of seeing those that are lost, those that are sick, found and healed. We thank you. Thank you for loving us sinners. Lord, let us take inventory in these next few days, next few weeks. Let us take inventory of who we have in relationship. People around us who need the great physician. And use us, empower us, to be your witnesses in Jesus' name.